Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is Tuesday, October 5th. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in mortgage today, our weekly walk through all the latest happenings going on in the mortgage industry each week. Uh, pleased to have one of our lender members join me as my co-host. And this week, very excited to be joined by the CEO of Princeton Mortgage, Rich Whitehall. Rich, good to see you, man. Hey, it's great to be here. We're having trouble with too many riches, I think. I like it. We've never had the all rich uh, edition of last week in mortgage. So you're, it only increases your chances of getting a return invite. So <laughs> awesome. So, hey, Rich, uh, one of our newer members, Princeton Mortgage, quickly growing. It's, it's really been awesome for me to get to learn more about your company over the course of the last several months here. But just to level set with the audience, why don't you give us a little overview of Princeton Mortgage and any unique uh, strategic initiatives you got in the hopper as we head into the latter part of 2021? Yeah, so great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on to it. And uh, hopefully we can have a conversation and provide some value to people. So Prince of Mortgage um, from 1983 till 2017 was a small regional lender, $10, $15 million a month in production, kind of very stable in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Um, I joined in the beginning of 18, really with the, the mandate to turn it into a national lender. And so we, we saw some opportunities within the mortgage industry. First, just love the industry. It's huge. You can scale. It's complicated. Um, it's got risk involved in it. So, so we liked the industry as a whole. It fit a lot of the dynamics. But within that, we saw um, it, it still hadn't changed a lot, and that that was very attractive to getting involved in it. So, we had some real views on on where we could differentiate in order to grow. So, we focused first on customer service and, and this effortless mortgage, and we really carved out our space as as Prince of Mortgage has the highest customer satisfaction rating in the mortgage industry. Uh, and then within that, we've moved forward on, we kind of think the best sales and marketing strategy um, is your manufacturing machine and looking at, wow, the companies that sort of started in the crisis, you know, 2008, nine, where did they differentiate? And they really differentiated within the sales and marketing space. And we're really moving into the manufacturing space to, to differentiate there so that we can have a, a durable competitive advantage. And so specifically around cycle times, um, we are... We get benchmarked around 70 lenders that, that, that account for, I think, 55 to 60% of total U.S. originations. Over the last month, we had the fastest cycle times in the entire industry. So that's one piece of it. And then really attacking the cost per funded loan, where we're moving towards about a 60% cost per funded loan. So those two things coupled, which is the give the loan officers and borrowers what they want, an effortless mortgage experience, and then have a lower cost structure while you're producing those results kind of becomes our flywheel now as we continue to grow. So. Uh, over the last three years since we got here, um, Prince and Words was on the Inc. 500 list. We are the Inc. number 502, 502nd fastest growing company in America. Among mortgage companies, I think we're number four out of all mortgage companies in terms of revenue growth over the last three years. That's awesome. Congratulations on all the recent success and growth. And uh, yeah, just for kind of level setting with the audience and uh, yeah, and for joining TMC, I, we've been kind of going back and forth off and on for the course of the last couple of years and uh, really appreciate you joining and uh, looking forward to future engagements and getting to know hopefully a lot of your senior management team because uh, I know you put together a good one there. Awesome. All right, well, let's get into it. Um, kind of go through the news headlines. The big news right now in the industry is the new head of the CFPB in that 
it is a clear departure from Kathy Craninger and, you know, Elizabeth Warren's kind of handpicked, you know, appointee and at least, you know, and and I said this on my show with, with Rob Kuzman on Friday, we judge by actions and not past or words. And hopefully we'll have Mr. Chopra on uh, several TMC events to kind of talk directly to our members, but um, the perception is that it's going to be a tougher regulatory climate as the CEO of a nice sized independent mortgage bank. Um, you know, how do you receive that news? Certainly not a surprise, but, but how do you look at the Rohit Chopra uh, confirmation? So within Prince and Origin, within my own family, we kind of say that all drama comes from sloppy agreements, which is really a mismatch in expectations. So the a basic example would be, um, I get home after work and my wife gets home after her job and she's mad at me. Are you mad at me? What's wrong here? I can't believe you didn't take the trash out this morning. I go, I didn't know I was responsible for that. Right. And then we have this, this big drop dramatic fight about that. And at the core of it, she had a certain expectation and I had it that was unstated. Right. And I had never made a commitment. I never, if I had said, I will take the trash out and I don't do that. Cool. I, I'm sorry. And so same thing with imprints mortgage. You say all drama comes from sloppy agreements. Processing's mad at underwriting. You get into it and say, hey, do, is there a clear expectation on this? No, there's not. Okay, that's the source of the problem. So I think for us, the last couple of years at Prince Mortgage, you know, understand we want to know what are the lines and we want to play inside those lines. And figuring out those lines is really difficult. And there was a I, I studied economics, there was a joke about economics where the answer to every question is, well, on the one hand, this, but on the other hand, that. And it's the same sort of situation with the CFPB right now. And so we spent a lot of money on attorneys and compliance people and all that work. And ultimately, they give you same sort of like, well, this is really a business decision. And it's like, what do we do? And then we, so we said, well, we want to play it safe because we don't want the tail risk. We want to, we want to have a good company. We think that rot starts at the top. We want to make sure that we're far inside of what the lines are. And that's really frustrating because there are a lot of other companies that are making different business uh, judgment questions and saying, cool, let's do this. We're just going to think about loan officer compensation and are using different buckets for the compensation and can you pay differently for refinances versus purchases and where are the gray areas within that? And what about the, the fair lending? Where will you get in trouble or not get in trouble? And how does this work and what's going on? And so my real hope is that um, there can be more clarity around what the rules are so that we can better define the game that we're playing. I think most mortgage companies want to do a good job, um, but we need to know what the rules are. And I think that 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 would be my hope coming out of this. My my fear is obviously um, regulation by enforcement, where suddenly people are in trouble and they they didn't even know that they were breaking the rules. And so I think that's a it's a real opportunity for the CFPB because I think generally speaking, most mortgage companies and most financial institutions want to follow the rules. It's just really difficult right now to kind of figure out what those rules are. Yeah, and I think you know that was the the clear complaint from us in the industry during the Rich Cordray CFPB. Yeah. Very, very little direction, guardrails, guidelines, and you know it was more regulation by gotcha and regulation by enforcement. You would hope and think the new administration, being so invested into housing in general, um, you know, having very ambitious goals. Uh, particularly in and around fair lending and affordable housing and um, that they wouldn't make 
and create a climate that will terrify lenders like Princeton Mortgage from, you guys want to make loans, right? You just want to know, to your point, the rules uh, through which, you know, you kind of have to operate. We want to have clear agreements. And I think I think that a lot of the gray area, particularly if you look at, you know, in the United States and, and the government, the mandate right now is to provide more access to home ownership for people that traditionally had a more difficult time doing it. We need real clear rules around that because there's a lot of murky areas when you get into low credit scores and loan officer compensation and different areas in, in, in those underserved areas. And so by not having clear regulatory guidance in those, it, it causes people to be more cautious in those environments. So I hope that we get more clarity. Um, my fear would be that it's the regulation guy by gotcha. And so listen, I, I think as an industry, we should withhold some judgment and see how things play out and hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And I think the winning strategy uh, for the long run, at least, is always to play it safe in these situations. But that's hard when in the short run, you see people who are playing a really aggressive um, on the regular in the regulatory environment winning, right? Because they're willing to do stuff that a company like Prince of Mortgage isn't willing to do. And that's that creates a lot of short-term pain. And it creates it. So there's the story that I forget when it was the IRS published a report that's something like 25% of Americans cheat on their tax returns. The next year it went up to like 37%. And the reason it went up is because suddenly everybody goes, wait, a quarter of Americans are getting away with cheating on their tax returns. I'm going to cheat on my tax returns. And there's a little bit of that going on, I think, where it's sort of like, hey, I know this company's getting away with this and get away with it for five years. We're going to go do that thing. Um, I think eventually the musical chairs stop. And that was always the attitude we have, which would be, hey, there might be limited enforcement for the last four or five years, but but eventually this is going to catch up with everybody. And so we try to stay really clean on that, but it does create more short-term pain and, and sort of a competitive disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, to your point and, and, you know, kind of preparing for what lies ahead and what is not here, the industry is so compliant right now. I mean, it really is. I mean, if you look at non-forbearance delinquencies and almost zero cases of fraud um, and lenders are just making good quality loans right now. Um, you know, part of that has been the credit box has been a little tighter. Maybe it expands a little bit during uh, this next administration in these next few years, but it is a very compliant mortgage industry yesterday. And, you know, I think that was uh, Bob Brokesmith from MBA uh, who uh, hopeful to have on the rundown this Friday coming up with Rob and I, um, that was his comment when, when he was kind of asked about the Rohit Chopra uh, confirmation was, listen, the mortgage industry has never been more compliant. So, you know, it's, uh, and I think, and then I think he made a comment along the lines of what you did, where, you know, just want to kind of know, know the rules and we'll abide by them. So. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think on, on a lot of the loan levels, I mean, the, the, the biggest area of conflict that we have running in a, you know, running an originator is around the compensation rules, right? That's, that seems to be where there's the most, um, the most business judgments being made in terms of people taking on risk, not taking risk, trying to do the right thing, but, the, but maybe it doesn't make sense. And how do we do this? And I, that would be the area that, that we would want to see the, the most clarity brought to it that just causes, causes a lot of friction within the industry, I think. And, and it's where a lot of the bad, bad actors are playing around fast and loose with, from my perspective. Absolutely. And I, I just heard more of that too. I mean, just some of the comp plan stuff, you know, not as much now that, you know, you've had a change in the White House and CFPB, but like, you know, last year and the year before the 
the, the magical changing comp plans and all the other ways to kind of skirt around the, everybody's got to get paid the exact same amount on every product and some of the other rules. So yeah, it would be good to have clarity there. What about RESPA? Do you guys have any marketing services agreements? I know that's another area we hear from members. It was, um, you know, uh, during the Cordray CFPB, that was where the most fear was and a lot of the enforcement actions were. Um, and, you know, it was around marketing services agreements with title companies or uh, real estate brokerages. Uh, how do you look at, at that issue? Look, I think there, I think there's ways to do MSAs that are compliant. I think it's really, really difficult to do them compliantly, or at least it opens up a lot of opportunities to for, for mistakes to happen that, that makes them non-compliant. So um, we, as a, we as a company have kind of decided, look, this is just, there's a lot of risk in this. It's really hard to do this correctly, even with the best of intentions. Um, and so it seems easier and safer, or not easier, but, it, but probably the better long-term strategy to say, we're going to go earn our business the old-fashioned way through good rates, hard work, customer satisfaction, and do that. So, so we've stayed away from those, one, from the compliance risk, and two, it, 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 economically, they don't, they don't typically work. They're difficult. You know, if you could just throw money at a problem, then the world would have no problems. And so it's typically you throw money at an MSA because you're not good at sales or you're not good at marketing or you're not good operationally, or you don't have good rates or whatever it is. And so you want to buy that business, um, which is also what the, the government is saying. We don't want people paying for referrals in the real estate industry. We don't want that. And so I think if you look at the spirit of the intention there, which I, I also agree with, and I would rather there be a level playing field where we say, hey, we all got to go out there and earn the business. And clearly the MSAs and that type of stuff uh, distorts that marketplace and, and, and makes it less competitive. So, But there's a huge push because the, the real estate industry, I think it was a couple of weeks, I, I ran a real estate company for a while. It's an increasingly difficult business model uh, to make money. And so you get everybody in real estate saying, I got to figure out how to make money on mortgage and title. So we're kind of back to that, that same environment where there's a lot of pressure for operators in real estate to monetize mortgage and get a piece of that. And I think that just, it's a slippery slope once you go down it. I think it's really slippery. So, and we see it, you know, when we're recruiting and talking to people, it's, you see like, okay, we wouldn't want to be doing that, you know? So it, it, it's, it's dangerous, I guess, is our perspective on it and probably not worth the short-term gain. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by CEO of Princeton Mortgage, Rich Wydell. Rich, the general like interest rate and margin climate, um, you know, rates have come up a little bit here now amidst you know a, a more substantial inflationary fears. Um, it's bled away some refi. The purchase activity is still somewhat constrained, obviously, by supply side and inventory issues. Uh, not seeing a lot of new homes getting built right now, at least not the level that we need. And things, I read a column today, the price of lumber is now up 40% again from what it was in August. It plummeted from the spring, obviously. But um, so uh, how do you view just right now, I guess, the general uh, rate climate? Uh, how are margins for you right now? And, and just how's the business looking and feeling as we get into the heart of fall? So there's, there's kind of two questions there. So let me make sure I address around. Is it what's going on right now or what do I think is going to happen? I'd say both. All right. Well, we'll, we'll tackle into front. So it's so tempting as human beings. I think we want to know what's going to happen next. Right. We all we all are what's gonna happen, right? Just tell me, just tell me where I'm gonna die so I won't go there kind of situation. And and 
there's a difference between complicated and complex. And in complicated, it's sort of if then. If this happens, then this will happen, then this would happen. But you just rattled off like four drivers of what's going to happen, which makes this complex, right? So this is not a linear function. Um, there's multiple variables that can create butterfly effects on it. I think we've seen that for the last year. We're, we're operating in a very new environment as a world, which is like governments have just, we've had a pandemic. We've just put trillions of dollars into it. We're trying to figure out what's going on with inflation. Why are there all these job openings, but nobody has jobs? What, how is housing going up 35% in different markets? It's very confusing. So I do think if you don't have more questions than answers, you're confusing yourself. And so I'm, I'm always a little hesitant of like predicting too much, but I think we can, we can come back and, and look at all right, what typically happens. Um, the, the, you could sum up, how do you do well in the mortgage industry with stay alive, you know, stay in business. And we saw, you know, a small uptick in rates in, in February or March of this year. And look at what it did to the profitability of, of the public mortgage companies, which we can track and see, obviously. Loan, um, Home Point lost $75 million. UWM went from making a billion a quarter to a hundred million a quarter. Loan Depot went from making hundreds of millions to making, I think, five or six million. And so we just saw this collapse. We saw all the public companies go from their initial IPOs in Q4 and Q1. I think on average, they're tracking 55% off of their initial valuations at the beginning of the year. So what that tells me is that we are all really bad at predicting what's going to happen. I mean, how, how is that possible that everybody thought these companies were worth X and now in, in, on average, they're worth 50 to 60% less. So, so we, we, instead of trying to predict, we try to say, cool, how, how do we, what are the, what are the possible scenarios and how do we navigate those different scenarios? So it's more of a scenario analysis type of conversation, but knowing what will happen relatively easy, knowing when it's going to happen is really, really difficult. I think there's, there's a lot of CEOs and leaders sitting around saying, when is, when is the music going to stop? And I went and looked at the NBA, just said that 2021 is going to come in around 3.7 trillion. I was like, what was their prediction at the beginning of the year? Do you remember in January what they predicted 2021 origination? Two, 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 seven. I pulled two, it. Seven. So 2.7. Yeah. So they're wildly wrong, right? And if you were making decisions based on that prediction, you're out of business. You know, like, like you got it really wrong. Now, what we do know from the cycles is that when refinances go away, it's binary, right? They don't trickle off kind of, they tend to be a binary, they're gone. And then you see 40% of the industry disappear overnight, which means we're way overstaffed. And, and our experience has been, it takes about a year for the, for the supply in the industry, i.e. staffing, really, unfortunately, that's one of the hard parts of this. It takes about a year for the oversupply uh, of the industry, the overcapacity to clear out. So... It, it, it seems like at some point in the next six months, rates will go up. We see the inflation continuing to drive up. Rates go up, refinances disappear, margins go down. We look at 2018 where 60% of mortgage companies lost money in 2018. That's probably what we're going to experience in 2022. Um, so we're thinking a lot about that at Prince Morris. And you kind of have two ways to survive that. Grow through it or, or cut your costs down till you make money again. And so the problem is a lot of companies have their variable costs in a way that you can't cut them. You can cut fixed costs, but you can't cut your variable costs. And if your variable costs are too high, they're a thousand bucks a loan and your revenues per loan are 800 bucks, you lose money on every single loan you do. And that's a really scary place to be in. So, and not everybody can grow their way out of it, right? We can't all add market share in a declining market. So um, I think if, to the extent that the best predictor of the future is the past, which is also a really bad one, 
Next year is going to be really difficult for the mortgage industry from a profitability standpoint. Um, the question is just, when does that happen? Is it tomorrow? Is it December? Is it March? You know, the best case scenario for, I think, a lot of the industry is that we get through the winter to the spring market and then see it so that the purchases kind of save us. Um, so let's hope that happens. But it, it, we saw in Q1, Q2, how fragile we are to an uptick in interest rates and how the industry just overnight. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I remember last year was so busy at the end of the year, like the fall, like a year ago from right now was just insane. And then I think a lot of people felt like it would fall off in the winter, but then I think it did a little. The NBA like, predicted it, right? We yeah, all had yeah. the paper telling us it's yeah. going to be a bloodbath and, and, and it wasn't. Yeah. It looks like this year is probably going to come in actually three, nine. I've seen some people predicting 4 trillion um, just behind, just behind last year's number, which was, I think, four, three or four, four. Uh, a lot of people predicting this year will be the second best year ever for the mortgage industry. Who saw that coming? Um, but it started with a better January. I just distinctly remember looking back at like the TMC benchmark data um, in December, things started to fall off. It made people feel like, okay, things are going to normalize in the winter. And then after Jan 1, rates dropped a little bit. And Jan and the beginning part of Feb were really great app months. And to your point, it kind of fell off uh, in the second but it's, part. But it's not, when you say it's the greatest year in, the, in mortgage, or second best year in the mortgage industry, that, that's not what drives profitability, right? It's the mis mismatch between the demand, i.e. total originations, and the capacity of the mortgage industry. And so what we saw is that Last year, we spent most of the year under capacity. So profit margins were huge, supply and demand. Everybody staffed and staffed and staffed and staffed and staffed and staffed. So we more or less had the capacity to handle about $4 trillion. So we've seen profit margins this year sort of at a historical or below a historical average for the year. And so that's where the bloodbath will come, actually. If it's going to be, if we've staffed up to a $4 trillion a year mortgage industry and next year is only 2.7. That's going to be a really difficult right sizing for the industry. So it's kind of we do well if it's stable. We do well if demand's up. We fall apart when demand goes down, and it seems to be be a really difficult year to make through that trans that transition back to matching supply and demand. And right now, predicting the demand is really difficult, as we just compared. The MBA said two point seven trillion, but it wound up being almost four trillion. So the I my first job was at Goldman Sachs. I was a um, and the mortgage desk there, and we sat next to the interest rate traders, and I'm so glad I did because I watched them for a couple of years. The smartest guys in the world, right? They're, they're macro traders, interest rates all over the world. They got it wrong for two years, and so that really humbled me. And that, like, nobody really knows what's going to happen with interest rates. It's really difficult to predict that. And so, if you're making interest rate bets, if you're right, you're a billionaire at a Bloomberg terminal. Terminal. The rest of us are just have no chance of getting it right. And so we're better off saying really flexible and anti-fragile and saying, how do we design business models that can navigate those market cycles? And so, so I, that's, that would be my advice. And my advice to myself is let's focus more on how do we navigate the market cycle rather than how do we predict it? Because I think more often than not, we're wrong on that. Uh, just to follow up on that, I mean, you talked about business cycle and uh, you talked earlier in the show about just the success that Princeton Mortgage has had with cycle times and customer uh, satisfaction surveys. Um, the key to the cycle time has it been? Has it been putting people at it? Has it been process? Has it been uh, technology? Because it was just been. It has been fascinating to me this last year and a half watching all you know two hundred and fifty of our members kind of 
go through this and handle it different, you know, varying levels of tech, varying levels of we're going to go out and hire versus we're going to hold the fort. Um, and, you know, and then, and then it's been cyclical too, as well. Um, and how do you manage in and out of busier and not as busy cycle times? What has it been with you guys? What would you attribute to success to? There's no, there's no one answer. I think it technology is not the answer. Process isn't the answer. People's not the answer. Um, the answer is systems architecture, which is the combination of your people, your process, and your technology towards a common aim. And even you can define it all, you can know it, but then you've got to lead the entire team, the people, and the, the, and the people, the people make the process and the people use the technology. And so it's really first and foremost about the people. Then it's about the culture that they're operating in. Then it's uniting those people toward a common mission and, and instilling the belief that we can do this. And then having unrelenting standards and doggedness towards, towards pursuing that standard and be willing to do whatever it takes to move towards it. So I think it's it's kind of the, the, the long-term commitment to achieve better and better standards. And so as soon as you get to one milestone, you're moving on to the next. And it's it's really complicated. And you could have the best ideas, but if you can't lead the people to do it, you can't get them to work the technology, you can't implement change management and different processes, um, you won't get there. And so I think, I think we've had a three-year commitment in the same direction with really high standards, um, a, a really a, a intolerance for mediocrity around those standards, and then constantly raising the bar. And so, you know, one of the things we fight at Prince of a little bit is like the complacency that come from, hey, we're doing everything really well. I mean, highest customer satisfaction scores, we're making money. We beat the average cycle times in the industry last year by 60% while we were one of the fastest growing companies. We, we caught the market and we outperformed. This year, we're number one in the country out of 70 originators, accounting for 50 to 60% of originations in terms of cycle times. But yet it's still only 10 to 20% as good as we want it to be. And so how do you, how do you continue to strive when you're already doing well and not demoralize the team in, in the midst of that? Um, and not have burnout and do those types of things. So you have to really take care of your team and 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 focus on how do we have how how are we attracting people that are intrinsically motivated to to doing really hard things because they enjoy that. And so I think the kind of people that do well around here are the same kind of people that that would want to go climb Mount Everest. Like why would you do that? Well, as they as he famously said, because it's there. And so um, it's that it's it's a group of people on a common mission holding themselves and accountable to doing really hard things. Very well put. This is the last week of mortgage today. I'm Rich Swabinski with the Mortgage Collaborative and I uh, have a couple minutes left with Princeton Mortgage CEO, Rich Wydell. Uh, Rich conforming loan limits almost certainly uh, will be going up here likely uh, in the next month or two. Uh, I know some of the, the aggregators are already starting to raise some of the conforming loan limits. Uh, we're at 548, 250. Now home values have gone up on average nationally, like 18% year over year. Any thoughts, speculation on what we may see from FHFA on the new conforming loan limit later this year? Um, I don't have a prediction on it because I'm not really in the predicting business, but but the 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 obviously jumbo is a huge issue in the industry for IMBs, right? And that that's an area where it's very difficult to compete and com uh, against the big banks. So the hope is obviously that they raise them and we get more, more loans under that. I think the underlying question is, are we in a real estate bubble or not? Meaning it can't keep growing 20, 30% a year. Is it going to level off and stay or is it going to level off and come back down? And that's that's a really hard question to understand. I, you look at 
inflation and lumber prices, and new home starts and zoning laws and what's going on in California, it's really hard to understand that. So I think it makes sense to, to, to raise them to, to effectuate what their original goal was in terms of home ownership so that the, the, that the, that the, the right percentage of Americans that should be able to get a government backed loan are able to do that. They should track the uh, housing prices for that, which obviously have gone up a lot. Excellent. Um, and then, you know, all these homes coming out of forbearance, we've been trying to speculate with members of ours on this show and others, uh, what impact, if any, it's like a 1.6 million homes that are either just now coming out of forbearance or will be here uh, in the month of October. You anticipate any needle moving uh, impact on, you know, supply, inventory, or just impact of that process in general? Um, I think anything will be transitory that happens. I think we learned a lot from 2008, 2009, that we do not want a ton of foreclosures. And I think that the, the confluence of home prices up, I think 10% of people or, or everybody in forbearance has 10% equity on average. So I think that there's space to absorb it. And I think that as a country, we're probably committed, whether it takes regulation or you know changes within that to prevent a, a huge foreclosure crisis, crisis. So I think that's, that's probably the right strategy that the market can absorb those. And if anything, I'm in Charleston right now working from our office down here. There's, there's typically 6,000 homes listed on the market. There's 1,800 right now. So obviously we still have more demand than supplies. So it should be absorbed. You know, maybe it's got a 30, 60 day kind of like, oh, great. There's some more houses on the market, but it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be enough to deflate the bubble or anything like that from my perspective. Rich, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for reminding me I've got to take the garbage out as well, or I'm going to be in trouble. So, <laughs> but congrats on all the success and uh, really appreciate you coming on board at uh, TMC and joining me today for the last week in mortgage. Yeah, we've really enjoyed uh, being, a, being a part of uh, TMC. I know we sent out our, our head of operations to your guys' recent conference. She loved it. So we all got to go back next year. So appreciate what you guys do. And thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. And to all our attendees, thank you for taking 30 minutes out with us. Uh, we are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern for the last week in mortgage today. Uh, and as always, uh, we'll be releasing this as a podcast in the Apple and Spotify stores and uh, to our YouTube page on video as well, where I know a lot of you watch and listen. So until next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, have a great rest of the week, everyone. And thanks again, Rich. Hey, Rich, one thing, if I could just, I love if anybody disagree, I love talking to people about this stuff. And if anybody, especially those who disagree with me, um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Rich Wydell. I'd be happy to, to set up a phone call or anything with anybody that's listening that, that where am I wrong? Because I would love to learn. It's awesome. So much of that happens just organically through TMC. Great leaders like yourself connecting with other leaders. If it's on LinkedIn or at the bar at one of our conferences or in a collab lab or a session and, uh, Man, it, it's so cool to just to see that happen and people checking their egos at the door and talking business and just wanting to get better. Good stuff. Thanks again, Rich. And thanks again to all our attendees. We'll see you next week at 2 p.m. Eastern for Last Week in Mortgage Today. Have a great rest of the week, everyone. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.